as Pastor Frank mentioned, my name is Jackson, and um, he gives me the opportunity to get up here every now and then and, um, and just kind of speak uh, what's kind of on my heart, what God's given me, and that sort of thing. So I'm actually really excited to be able to bring you the, the very last in our Creed series. We've been going through this for um, a bunch of weeks now, um, and I have the awesome privilege of being able to close this out, which um, I'm really, really excited about. I've learned a lot through um, through this series, and I hope you guys have too, like doing the studies and things like that, and just being able to actually dig in to see what, what does it actually really mean to be a Christian? What does this creed mean, and why do we say the things that we say, and why do we believe what we believe in, and where is it in the Bible that kind of tells us what we believe? Um, so I'm really excited to, to kind of finish this out. I've learned a lot. Um, so hopefully you guys have too uh, throughout this kind of whole thing. But before we sort of get started and before I jump in to any sort of verses or anything like that, I just, audience participation here, I want to show a hand. How many of you would say that you had like a semi-busy to like really busy week this week? Semi-busy to really busy. That, that's pretty much unanimous, right? Like I can't see most of you. I think there may be like three of you that are like, no, you know, my week's been pretty good. Uh, you know, I ate a lot. I slept a lot. And actually, really, the only reason I got out of bed was to come hear you this morning. Um, and if that's you, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. But we're busy. We are a busy people most of the time, whether you're my age, whether you're a teenager, or even whether, you know, you're older than that. Typically, we have really busy days now. It never really seems like we get to relax. It never really gets to seem like that we just get to kind of chill. We're always doing something. Um, I thought I was busy when I was, you know, a teenager and didn't have a job, and all I did was go to school, and I thought I was busy. And then now I'm however old I am. I think I'm 27 now, um, and I'm, like, feel like I'm busy all the time, and I don't even have kids yet. And I'm running everywhere, doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, you don't realize how busy or how much downtime you have until you buy a house. And then your wife is like, you need to cut the grass. And you do this outside. And you do this outside. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're right, I do. Um, so we're busy. We're busy people. And especially if you have kids, you're really busy. And especially if you work a full-time job, you're busy. Some people, you, sometimes you work two jobs and have kids. We're busy people. And... Let me tell you something I've learned um, kind of over the years, especially recently. The things that we do and the reason why we're so busy and the reason that we do certain activities is because the driving force behind everything that we do is hope. Let me say that again. The driving force behind all of the activities and all the busyness that we have is hope. Now, that can look somewhat different depending on, you know, the activities that you do and things like that. Like whether it's um, going to your job, whether it's taking your son to baseball practice, whether it's taking your daughter to soccer practice, whether it's, um, you know, doing whatever it is, whether it's going to school, um, whether you're in college or going to, to, you know, high school or middle school, whatever, whatever it is that you do or your family does, there is some sort of driving hope, a driving engine, a driving force behind that that causes you to do the things that you do. Um, so while, you know, you're out driving all around the North Georgia area, taking your kids wherever they need to go or going to your job that you know you were able to get, but it's 45 minutes away from where you live and all that sort of stuff, while you're doing that, we don't really stop and think about why we're doing the things that we're doing. Like, if you stop and think about it, why am I taking my son to baseball practice? Why? 
And you kind of have to think about it. And when you think about it, you can say, oh, there is a reason why I'm doing that. Not just because, you know, he gets on my nerves and that's an hour and a half he gets to run around and I don't have to supervise him for an hour and a half and he runs all of his energy out, right? That could be a hope and that's fine. But typically there is a more sort of deeper hope behind all of the stuff that we do. And that hope, that driving force, that driving engine really shapes the way that we live. There is an underlying sort of cause or an underlying factor behind everything that shapes the way that we live. Again, if you're taking your son to baseball practice, your hope is that, you know, he develops his baseball skills or develop his athletic skills. So, you know, maybe he can play when he gets into middle and high school or maybe when he gets to college or maybe, you know, if he's lucky, play after that uh, or get a scholarship or get money. Um, you take your daughter to soccer practice for the same thing. Or, you know, you're, you're, if you're a college student, you're going to college to try to get education, to get better, to have a better life, to make more money, that sort of thing. There's a hope behind everything that you do. You just don't, most of the time, we don't really stop and think about why and what it is. Now, when we talk about hope, there's actually two different kinds. Um, I, at least I think there's two different kinds, and I'll share them with you. There's general hope, and then there's ultimate hope, all right? So there, there is one kind called a general hope, and then there's another kind on the other side called an ultimate hope. And I want to sort of just briefly, really quickly, kind of outline the difference between the two because there's a really important and distinct difference. General hope is what we do on a daily basis. That's like taking your kids to activities and going to school and that sort of thing. That's sort of the general hope. And general hopes aren't necessarily bad. Um, it's, it's nothing that you should really be rebuked for. It's nothing that you should be ashamed of. It's nothing that you should feel bad about. Everybody has some sort of general hope. Um, let, me, let me give you some examples. Um, money, for example. We put our general hope in money, and that's okay because you have to have money to live you got to have um, a shelter. And if you continue down that train of thought with money, you know, money provides you a, um, a it provides you transportation. It provides you um, food. Um, we all have bills. We have to hope that money will cover those bills, right? Every, every, all of us hope in money in some way. That's okay. We put our hope in jobs or accomplishments. I hope that I have a job, and I hope that I'm good at my job. And I hope that I continue to be good at my job so that way I can advance, get a better position, maybe make more money, right? Like, we hope that we have a good job and do well at it. And that's okay. Um, that's okay. We put hope in relationships sometimes. Um, you know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing that we put hope in relationships. Um, maybe your hope is in a hero. Not, not like a superhero, uh, but like a, um, like a political hero or a political party, or a religious hero, or um, maybe it's not even in a person at all. Maybe it's in a religious belief, or maybe it's in a political alignment, or a sense of patriotism or nationalism. Maybe that's where you put your hope in. Now, again, all of those aren't necessarily bad, um, because they're, they're all good things, and they're something that we all need. We all need you know, some, we all need some sort of money to live at some point. We put our hope in relationships because, I mean, I hope that my wife loves me unconditionally. And I would hope that she would receive my love as well. Um, that's an okay hope. Again, hoping in money to pay bills. That's okay. What about, like, health? We all hope that we have good health, right? Nobody's sitting there saying, man, I'm, you know, I hope I have bad health. Or, you know, if I have bad health, whatever. We're all praying and hoping for good health. That's not blasphemous. That's not, you know, idolatrous, right, to hope in good health. Now, 
the problem is when these hopes become ultimate hopes. And here's what I mean by that. It's not just going about your day and saying, I'm going to the doctor because I hope I have good health. I'm not taking my kids to baseball because, you know, I hope they, you know, will just become a better person or a better adult in life later. Or I'm not just going to school because, um, you know, I just, I want to have good grades. When When we create that, take that general hope and turn it into an ultimate hope, that's where it becomes a problem. Because these hopes, like we just talked about, they're what drives our life. These hopes are what's the driving force behind everything that we do. So if we make them ultimate hopes, they become misplaced. And when you have misplaced hopes, then you begin to live life a little differently. You begin to live life in a different way that God really didn't intend for you. And when these ultimate hopes become the engine that's driving your life, it can become catastrophic. Um, and, And here's what I mean by that. Like, for example, if you put your ultimate hope in money, meaning that is your one end-all, be-all, um, money is exactly what you live for every single day, and every single decision that you make is based off money, well, what's going to happen? You're going to constantly be worried. You're going to constantly have anxiety about the money that you have. You're going to be fearful that, like, the market is going to take a downturn. You're always going to be checking on your phone, your 401K, your stocks, you know, whatever it is. You are constantly going to be concerned about money. And the more that you're concerned about money, the more you let that fear creep in, the more you let that anxiety creep into your heart, and the more that that pushes you on the wrong path. Because then you'll start to make different decisions than what you normally would because you're so concerned about if you have enough money in your retirement. So you'll start to make different decisions to get more money because you let that fear and anxiety and restlessness creep into your heart because that's all you're living for. And eventually what happens is you become enslaved to your ultimate hope. Eventually what happens is when you put your ultimate hope in something, inevitably, no matter what it is, that ultimate hope becomes what's enslaving to you. Because that kind of defines the way that you live your life. It defines all the activities that you have. Another example could be if you put your ultimate hope in a relationship, in a boy or a girl, or maybe in even a future Mr. or future Mrs., right? What happens when you put your ultimate hope in a relationship is you smother them because that's all you want. You end up like choking them and because you're like, they're like, I can't breathe, get away from me, right? Like you won't let me have space. And because all you want to do is be with them and be on top of them all the time and just be around them all the time, eventually that drives them away. And they'll never be able to live up to these ideas and these notions and these dreams and this ideal picture that you have of this perfect relationship. They'll never be able to sustain that. Because people make pretty crappy gods. And I think that's something that we've established all throughout history. People do not make good gods. When you put your ultimate hope in relationships, that's something that can happen. And as a result, these misplaced hopes when we do things like that, when we put them in money or we put them in relationships, these misplaced hopes can become catastrophic. Now, typically, again, on a daily basis, when we're doing the things that we're doing, we don't have enough time to stop and slow down and say, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? Why am I driving to my job? Why am I driving to school? Why am I driving here? Why am I doing this? We don't have time to stop and think about that. 
so most of the time, this hope is sort of like an unseen engine, um, kind of like when you see like a really like cool sports car driving down the road, and all you can see is the car, but you don't see what's going on underneath the hood. Um, you don't take the time to lift it up and see what kind of engine it has, um, what, what kind of, what's making it work. All you see is the outside because we're not able to look under the hood. We don't know. And here's what's awesome is that a lot of times, well, for me, because I'm not handy at all, most of the time when I drive my car, I don't know something's wrong until my check engine light comes on. And by then, it's probably way, way wrong and past the point of repair, right? Um, now, you know, if I was somebody who actually knew what I was doing, I might be able to figure it out. Um, but typically, I don't know when something has gone wrong with my car until the check engine lights come up, comes on. And by the grace of God, he has actually given us a check engine light on our lives to make us realize when something is amiss and something is going the wrong way in our lives. And those check engine lights are those kind of heart checks that we have about the fear, the anxiousness, the restlessness, the insecurity, the doubt. When we're feeling that, that's our sort of check engine light to stop and evaluate, hey, what exactly am I doing? Why am I feeling this feeling? What sort of hope do I have in whatever sort of ultimate that I, in every sort of ultimate hope that I have that I'm feeling this way? Why? Because most of the time, if he wouldn't give us those heart checks and the Holy Spirit wouldn't give us those heart checks, we wouldn't stop. We'd just keep going until eventually we drove ourselves off a cliff or until eventually our hope would lead us to totally break down and hit rock bottom. Because if my car didn't have a check engine light, I'd drive that thing till like the transmission fell out because I wouldn't know the difference. Our lives are the same way. If we don't have a check engine light or a heart check to tell us something is wrong, we'll just keep going. But thankfully, God has given us these sort of check engine lights to tell us, hey, you have put your hope in something that cannot sustain you. You've put your hope in money that will not sustain. You've put your hope in love of a relationship or a boy or a girl that cannot possibly sustain you. And because we're too busy trying to control that relationship or that money, we become exhausted. And when we become exhausted, we are constantly anxious, constantly worried. We're like, you know, if you've ever like gone 24 hours without sleeping, your senses are always heightened, your temper flares because all you want to do is sleep. And that exhaustion causes us those heart checks. When we put our ultimate hope in the wrong thing, it could become catastrophic. And here's what's interesting about the whole thing. You might think you have control over something, but control is a total illusion. Control is a total illusion. You can work your entire life trying to control whatever situation that you have, but I promise you, you just think you do. It is a total illusion. You might think you can control your money situation. You can't. You could have a million dollars in the bank, but if the economy tanks, how much is that million dollars worth? Nothing. You might think you can control a relationship, but watch what happens when you exert too much control. That person will leave. You might think you can control health. You can't. Why do you think we have all the sickness that we have? It's not like people purposely get sick. It's not like people intentionally go out and get the flu, no matter how healthy you've been, right? I took vitamins, well, I didn't really take vitamins, but I attempted to be as clean as possible and I got the flu this year. I didn't want to, it happened. You think that you can control all these things, but 
you can't. It's just an illusion. And as Christians, we should really only have one ultimate hope. General hopes are all okay. Those are the ones we talked about before. It's when you put your ultimate hope that it becomes a problem. As Christians, really, we should only have one ultimate hope be that engine that drives our life. That one ultimate hope be the driving factor that shapes the way that we live. And that's actually the last passage of the creed that we're going to study today, um, which is um, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. This is the fundamental hope of Christianity, life everlasting. That is the fundamental hope of Christianity. We live our entire lives as Christians because we know and we hope and we pray and we are so excited that one day we will be resurrected to everlasting life. That is the only ultimate hope as Christians that we should have that will lead us on the path to where we're supposed to be. So I want to dig in a little bit and kind of discuss those two phrases really quickly. Um, But before we do that, uh, we've read um, the creed together throughout this whole series. Uh, So if you would, I'll ask you to stand. We'll have the creed on the screen if you don't have it memorized yet. Um, So if you would, please stand with me and we'll say this together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So that last little phrase is what we're going to focus on today. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So we're going to be, the first part that we're going to be in is 1 Corinthians 15. Um, so if you want to go ahead and begin to turn there, you can. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44. Um, I only have time to read just a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 15 to you just for the sake of time. Um, but I encourage you to go back and read uh, the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 because it talks about the resurrection of the saints. It kind of talks more about the, the, the resurrection of the people. Um, unfortunately, I don't have time to read like, you know, all 40 verses to you, um, but I encourage you to go back and read those. But I do want to read to you 42 um, through 44. So let's go ahead and read that together really quickly. So in verse 42, it says, so will be with the resurrection of the dead, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, I don't want you to get confused by this, by this term there. Um, spiritual body does not mean like a ghost. Um, you are not going to be like this erythral kind of like wisp, just kind of like floating through heaven, right? Like spiritual body just basically means you will be resurrected to be more like the, the body of Jesus um, when, when he was resurrected. Um, you'll have a more sort of like perfect body, right? So I don't want you to hear that, that term spiritual and think that you're going to be like a ghost floating around in heaven because that, that's not what it is. Um, it, it's more representing a phys- 
it's still representing a physical body, just one more like um, Jesus' resurrected body. So what we're really talking about here, when we talk about Christian hope and, and the resurrection and the bodily resurrection, is we're talking about true resurrection and not resuscitation. We're talking about true, actual resurrection and not just resuscitation. Does that make sense? Probably not. Um, let, me, let, me, let me try to explain. Um, let me try to explain what I mean by that. So, listen, I don't, I don't know where you are on, like, the spectrum of life, right? Like, I can look out and I can see people, you know, from, like, you know, five all the way up, right? So I don't know where you are on that spectrum of life, and I can't really guess where you are on that spectrum of life. But what I can tell you is there will come a day when your body will fail you. And there will come a day where your body fails you so bad that you get upset every time you have to wake up in the morning. Now, you might be looking at me and saying, well, that's not very nice of you to say to me. Well, yeah, but the Bible says it too, so you can get upset at it as well. Um, But there will become a time when your body will fail where you won't be able to see as well as you used to. You won't be able to hear as well as you used to. You won't be able to lift things as well as you used to. You'll get up and your back will hurt just because you got out of bed. Actually, I'm already there. So um, there will be a time when your body will fail you, all right? And if we can be completely honest with each other, there are probably times that you've had, no matter where you are on that spectrum of life, where you've woken up and you said, I don't want to be here anymore, my body hurts, or I'm upset, or this happened, and I really just don't want to go to work today. Like, I would be fine just going home to glory. God, just take me now. If we can be honest with ourselves, we've probably had one of those days. You know, unless you're seven, then you're probably like, what What are you talking about? But most of us, we have probably had one of those days before, if we're honest. And that's okay. The Bible tells us we will have those days, right? Um, actually, in, in Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8, um, is what we're going to read. And I want you to think of this, this sort of passage as sort of like poetry, all right? So I know, I know we all hate poetry um, because it's really confusing. Um, but I'll try to explain it the best I can. This passage, 1 through 8, is talking about a physical body breaking down and what happens when we get resurrected, all right? Um, So let's start in Ecclesiastes 12, uh, verse 1. It says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. See, I told you, I wasn't lying to you. The Bible tells you. The Bible tells you right there in verse 1, it says, there will be a day that comes that you will take no pleasure in them, right? There will come a time um, in the days of trouble as the years approach, and that could be different for everybody, where you say, I find no pleasure in days. I don't find no pleasure in life anymore. Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain, When the keepers of the house tremble and strong men stoop, right? What I'm talking about, strong men, they stoop, right? Their back hurts even though they're strong. They're getting old. When the grinders cease because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. Talking about you can't see very well, right? Like your eyes are kind of not as well as they used to be. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades. When people rise up at the sounds of birds, but all their songs grow faint. 
When people are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire is no longer stirred. Check that out. Desire is no longer stirred. You have no desire. No desire to do anything. It's just, it's, it's not there. Then people go to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, everything is meaningless. See, our hope is not in simple resuscitation. Our hope is in resurrection. Because when we get taken, when we get, like, when we are raised up from the dead, we are not going to return to those broken bodies that was just described in verses 1 through 8. When I die and get resurrected that we, that we talk about, I'm not going to have my aching back and my knees where I can barely bend down anymore. I'm not going to have a shoulder that hurts after I throw 15 pitches because that's all I've been doing my whole life. I'm not going to have, you know, like the loss of hearing in my ears. I will have a perfect body. That's what you call resurrection, not resuscitation. Because I'll be honest with you, if our hope was in resuscitation, don't do it. Don't wake me up again, right? If I just have to come back to this failing body that I've been in that I already left once, don't, don't, don't wake me up. You know, I think it's funny. There's a story in, in the Bible that I think is hilarious if you really think about it. Um, the story of Lazarus, right? Here's what's funny about the story of Lazarus. That guy had to die twice, Right? He was resuscitated by Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. That's awesome. That is an awesome miracle to be able to be risen from, from, from the dead by Jesus, right? Like, that is so cool. That dude had to die again. He had to die twice. He had to, the, he had to experience the pain of death twice because he wasn't just resurrected from the dead. He was almost resuscitated because he would return to the same body. He didn't have that heavenly body that we'll have. So what is so important about this, this term resurrection of the body in the creed is that it's a resurrection, not a resuscitation. When we die, we will have perfect bodies. We won't return to these broken bodies that we have that feel anxious, that feel fear, that feel pain. And I don't know about you, but that's an awesome hope to hope in is that knowing I won't feel any pain anymore. I won't experience the feeling of doubt. I won't experience the feeling of anxiousness and worry because I've been resurrected. I've been resurrected into eternal life or life everlasting. As uh, the passage we just read, it said our eternal home, eternal forever, right? Which brings us right into our next passage of um, uh, life everlasting, so we're actually going to go to uh, Revelation in this one. Um, Revelation 21, um, we'll start in verse 1, so if you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, Revelation, you know, is, is the cool one where, you know, it talks about like dragons and like eating babies and stuff like that. Revelation's pretty cool. Um, I enjoy it. We're not going to go that hardcore into it because I don't really understand all of that. But um, here is what I want you to get, and here's what I want you to see out of Revelation. I want you to see what life everlasting looks like. Because I think this section that we're going to read perfectly describes what life everlasting will be, 
all right? So let's read that together, starting in verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. The whole point of this verse tells us that once we get resurrected, we won't just be resurrected into void or into nothingness or whatever. We will be resurrected to be exactly where we are supposed to be, and that is with God, with our creator. If we could go back to verse 3 for me really quickly, um, that's where it says. It says um, that we will, be God, we will be in God's dwelling place, and he will dwell with them. He will dwell with us, life everlasting. It's not going to be the, this, this sort of hope that, yeah, God, I know you're there. I hope you're there. I hope you exist, right, that faith that we have. He will be with us. He will dwell with us, and we'll be in his place. We'll be in his house. And God himself will be with them and be their God. We're there with him. That's exactly where we're supposed to be. Look at verse 4. This is awesome. I get excited in verse 4. This is what happens when we go to heaven, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. If that's not something to hope in, I don't know what is. This, this passage right here is where we get those songs like, um, or those verses that say, you know, like, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, vic you know, victory has come or whatever. Like, God has overcome everything. That's where this comes from. There'll be no more death, no more funerals, no more mourning. Not like, you know, like day and night and like mourning, but like, like sad, like mourning, right? Like no more mourning. We won't be sad over anything, which is awesome because, you know, I'll be honest with you, I get sad over some pretty ridiculous stuff sometimes. Um, so it'll be nice that that won't happen to me. No more crying. No more pain. We won't feel the, the sort of earth, earthly pain or sort of these earthly, sad, depressed emotions that we feel now. Forever. Life everlasting. I don't think we can truly, and honestly, I don't truly comprehend it, forever. Right? Like, I can say that for the next 30 minutes, and we still won't understand. We will not feel death or crying or pain forever. That's awesome. That is awesome. Like, I get so excited to think about that. That, I, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I just don't even know what I'll do because I'll be so excited that I won't have to feel those, the, those things that weigh me down on a daily basis. And here's what gets me even more excited in verse 5. He was seated on the throne saying, I am making everything new. Because here's the deal. We'll be honest with ourselves one more time since, you know, we already did it once. There are people in this room 
who have been marked by something really awful. There are people in this room who have been marked by tragedy, um, whether that is death of a loved one or of a family member getting sick or um, a divorce or you know, being abused or de- depression, addiction, whatever. There are people in this room who are marked by that. Every one of us is marked by something, some worse than others. But what's awesome about that is when you get to heaven and life everlasting, God is making everything new. Because see, when you have addiction and that you've overcome, or if you've been abused and you have to constantly fight off those thoughts of the things that happened to you, that is a struggle and a fight every single day of your life. You struggle and you fight and you battle every single day and you just hope that your kids don't have to inherit the same junk that you did. It is a struggle and a battle every single day. You have to wake up and fight those demons that have been with you your entire life. But there is hope, our ultimate hope, that when we get to heaven for life everlasting, everything is new. When you wake up, you will not have to fight those demons anymore. You won't have to fight those battles that you've been fighting for 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life. Everything is new. You won't be marked by that tragedy anymore. Life everlasting, y'all, is perfect. And it is exactly where we're supposed to be and exactly what God intended us for. God intended for us. We're free. We don't have to fight anymore. Forever. There's that word forever again, right? Forever. We're resurrected to be with God forever. And if that is not something we can get behind, and if that's not the, the, the driving force behind our lives, then we're doing something wrong. If your check engine light comes on in your life about fear or insecurity or doubt or, you know, whatever that looks like, chances are you may have your ultimate hopes in something other than that. Other than resurrection in life everlasting. Don't get me wrong. Stuff in life is going to happen. It does. Because this is not a perfect world, right? This is a sinful world. Things aren't going to go your way. And when they don't, and that light comes on that says, hey, buddy, check yourself. Check your oil. Check your transmission. Whatever it is, that check engine light. Check out something. Something you are doing is wrong. Acknowledge it. Because if there's two things that we can pull away from this, some of us, even, even as Christians, most of us in this room or some of us in this room or whatever that looks like, some of us have misplaced hopes. Some of us are hoping in the wrong things. Some of us, the driving force behind getting up every day is not on resurrection of the body and life everlasting. It's on money. It's on relationships. It's on our job. We go to work, you know, 17 hours a day and then come home and sleep just to wake up the next morning and do it again. And we don't talk to our our children. We don't talk to our spouse because all we're worried about is our job and money. That's not the kind of life God wanted for us. God wants us to thrive but the only way we can do that is when we know our eternal reward is going to be in heaven forever. So some of us, when that check engine light comes on, we need to stop. We need to figure out what's going on underneath the hood. And we need to take stock of that. And we need to figure it out. And we need to fix it. Secondly, I think, and I think this is a really, um, 
this is a really beneficial exercise, is we need to stop. We, t- we need to take a disciplined time out, and we need to stop and think about what our lives will look like a thousand years from now. Stop right now what you're doing and think about what your life will look like a thousand years from now. The day that whatever the worst moment of your life was, whatever the worst day of your life, whatever is that thing that you just wake up with every morning, you're like, ah. Whenever that day was, think about that in a thousand years in the future. Think about where your life will be a thousand years in the future. We'll be in heaven. We'll be eternal. We'll be with a resurrected perfect body. We'll be living in life everlasting alongside God. When you look back on that day that really kind of sucked, it may not seem as bad. Yeah, I know it's bad now. But when you look and see, okay, that is my goal. That is my ultimate hope. God, this doesn't matter. What matters is where I'm going to be. And if, if we take that approach and we take a look at that, it'll really help our mindset and our perspective of the way we think about things. It kind of reminds me of like, um, um, like, like veterans or like war stories, right? I'm a social studies teacher, so I read war stories all the time. And it reminds me of like when these old soldiers who were in battles or things like that, you know, they were on the brink of death. They were, you know, getting flanked from both sides and they barely escaped and barely survived, right, with their lives, Then they get together 10, 15, 20 years later, and they can reminisce on that and say, you know what? We're here. We made it. We survived. Thank God. That is what we need to do. That is the kind of approach we need to have with our lives that we can look back a thousand years and look look forward a thousand years and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. So as I sort of wrap up here and kind of wrap up this entire Creed series. Um, I mentioned a few weeks ago um, when I spoke, I said, and I challenged you to be all in, right? I used the, uh, the poker analogy of, you know, whenever, when somebody playing poker goes all in, that they fully buy into whatever hand that they have. Um, all their chips are in the middle. They got nothing left. They are fully bought in to that situation, We need to fully buy in to the Christian life. The reason why Pastor Frank has been having us do this creed is for us to understand what it means to be a Christian and the hope that we have in Christianity. And the the awesome and wonderful things that God has planned for us and show us where it says that in the Bible, because a lot of times we miss it. We just say these words when we stand up and speak them together, and we just say them. Um, I told you guys that I grew up in a Methodist church, and we stood and said them every week. And, um, yeah, I didn't know what they meant. I just said them because that's what they told us to do. I've gone my entire life not knowing where they came in the Bible, what, what they're here for. This has been awesome to see, okay, this is what living the Christian life is about. So I encourage you, as we wrap up this series, as we've gone from the very first phrase all the way to the end, totally buy in to what God has for you. Buy into the Christian life, because I promise you it will be the best decision that you'll ever make. I promise. I'm not saying you won't struggle. You will. Um, The Bible even tells us that. He tells us, hey, you will have trouble. But he also tells us, take heart, 
because he's overcome the world. When you go all in and you buy all into the Christian life, you're buying into something knowing the, the outcome already. You're buying in to Jesus and God and knowing that he's already overcome everything. You got nothing to lose in everything to gain. So I encourage you, if you've not done that, please consider that, pray about it. Come see Pastor Frank, come see me, come see anybody. I don't care. Come see somebody. I promise you it will be the best decision you've ever made. If you would bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this, this awesome church, God. And just this awesome privilege that, that I have to be able to get up here and, and share what you've given me, God, and share my heart with these people. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your words, God. Thank you, thank you for, for this series that we've been doing where we can really dig in and find out what Christianity and what Christian life is all about. Thank you for resurrecting our bodies, God, and making us perfect so we don't have to feel this awful, sinful world anymore. God, thank you for letting us be resurrected into something great, into something wonderful and awesome in the perfect place for us, God. And thank you for dwelling with us for life everlasting. God, you created us. And yet, even though we sin, even though sometimes we're far from you, you are going to dwell with us for the rest of our lives. And God, that is so awesome that we can put our hope in that. And if there's somebody in here who, who maybe has not, um, that may, maybe their ultimate hope is in money or their ultimate hope is in relationships or, or something other than you, God, I pray, tug on their heart, God, and, and let them speak to somebody. Because I promise, knowing you and putting my ultimate trust and hope and faith in you, God, has been the best decision I've ever made. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for these people. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.